Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. church. I just want to welcome everyone this morning and those who are especially watching online. Um, Last Sunday, we learned that uh, the exhortation that was given to the children of God in the plains of Moab by God through Moses, just prior to them crossing over to possess the promised land, was that they would fear the Lord and would keep all statutes and His commandments Why? So that their days may be prolonged and it would be well with them. And this timeless principle applies to us too. As children of God who have just crossed over from 2020 to 2021, certainly with apprehension, fear and uncertainty because of the prevailing pandemic crisis, we too could personalize this promise which gives us great hope. So it begins with the three people I told you last time. It's I, me, and myself. As individuals, what should I be doing? What decisions I'm going to make in 2021 that my days may be prolonged and that it would give, it would be well with me as it has been promised. So we looked at how to measure last Sunday. We learn that if we truly have the fear of God, there are a few things that will be seen in us. We we said we'll recognize that God is both loving and just. We'll be in awe of His holiness, giving God complete reverence. We'll place our faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. We'll recognize that God will punish those who stand arrogantly against Him. We will possess a receptive heart. We will come to Him with a humble and contrite spirit. So these are some of the characteristics of the one who fears God. And then we looked at the one who obeys God, obeys His commands, we will have absolute faith in God. We love God's Word and we will possess a repented heart. Now, so last Sunday we looked at individually our responsibilities as we go into 2021, if we truly want to make a difference in 2021, if we need to uh, invoke that blessing from the Lord, what we should be doing individually. Today we'll look at as a family, as a family unit, what changes must take place within my household so that we'll make a home into a home that is pleased by God. Church, the family is the oldest institution known to man. It is coexistent with the human race and predates by considerable time the other great institutions of humanity, such as human government or schools or even churches. We also know at the same time that the devil has launched an all-out attack, a campaign to destroy every family. So the question is, how do we make our home a home sweet home? 
Is it possible? You may ask me. You will say, Pastor, are you out of your mind? Don't you know what I go through day after day? Do you know that my dad is a drunkard and no interest in knowing me at all? Do you know that my mom is a social butterfly? She has no time to spare. Do you know that my son is a wayward out into drugs and girls and no job and no income? Do you know that my daughter is all about parties? I have no control over her behavior. Late night outs and so on. Pastor, my home is in a mess. Is there any hope for me? Now, church, truth be told, in Christian homes, unhappy conditions prevail. Let me repeat that. In Christian homes, unhappy conditions prevail. Often a spirit of chaos and rebellion enters the home and there is fighting and shouting and physical attack. The atmosphere is often one of nervous tension or at best is an armed truce ready to explode at any time. All of this church is part of satanic strategy a deliberately planned attack to destroy what has been one of the embankments of morality, religion, and faith. The atmosphere of a good godly home. So before we dive into the word, let me remind you, it begins with me. Yes, it is true, church. Before we point fingers of the problems that we are having in our homes, to our spouses and to our children and to our parents, let me say this, it begins with me. The first thing first, church, you want a change in the family, you are the catalyst for that change. And we spoke about that last Sunday. We said that you need to have the fear of the Lord and obey His word, His statutes and His commandments. And now with that condition, let's move on. What we could do and should do as a family to create such a home sweet home environment. So let me remind you again, church. Family is God's plan. He is the architect. He said it is good. He said it is not good for a man to be alone. He formed a woman and gave her to him and said to the man, you leave to cleave and you shall become one. Now, today, church, we need to reclaim it. If the Lord said it is good, it is good indeed. We messed it up. We need to reclaim it. Do it, the, do it the way the Lord wants the home to function. So in today's passage, that's what we are going to learn. Now, obviously, after exhorting and encouraging the children of God what they should be doing in the land they were going to possess, now Moses addresses the families what they should do to enjoy the promises of God. So he walks them through a series of instructions, what they should be doing in the land that they will be possessing so that it will go well with them. So this morning we are going to only examine one of those instructions. The first one, we are going to look at verse number 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I have given you the Hebrew translation on the screen and I'm not going to try to read it. I want to pay attention to the very first word today. Hear, O Israel, hear. 
The Hebrew word is Shema. Now, Shema is the typical Jewish declaration of faith in God. Shema is the centerpiece of the daily morning and evening prayer services and is considered the most essential prayer in all of Judaism. This prayer is taken from the scripture, is traditionally recited with the hands covering the eyes. It is an affirmation of God's singularity and his kingship. Its daily recitation is regarded traditionally observant Jews as a biblical commandment. In Hebrew, Shema does not simply mean just to hear. As if it's in ears perceiving some sound and the brain processing it. Rather, Shema really means it's listening, taking heed and responding with action to what has been heard. So this twice-daily prayer calls Jews to live out their commandment, commitment to the Lord, excuse me, putting into practice their love for them. So the lesson that we learn from this is that for us to reap the benefits outlined in the promises given to the children of God, our home too should become, must be a house of prayer. A house of prayer. So it begs the question, how should we pray? How should we pray? Now the biblical character I like to examine is none other than King David. The one who really messed up and was restored. And I really want to thank my brother Roy for this morning, talking about David this morning. How he was known as a man with a contrite heart. The one who was called the man after God's own heart. So for our reflection today, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 86. And I'm going to look at a few verses, verse 1 to 7. But before I read, it, read this, may I ask every one of you watching and listening to this message, please take a moment to think of the one thing that has been a thorn in your flesh. One thing. It could be your walk with God, a besetting sin that you are struggling with. It could be a family, it could be a husband, your wife, your parent, your sibling, or your child. It could be your health. You have been struggling to resolve, you desperately need God to intervene in this. You have tried with all your might to resolve and has not been successful. Now, as I read this, please personalize this prayer of David. So let's read this and please follow along as I read it. Psalm 86, verse 1 to 3. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my love, life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Verses 4 and 5. Rejoice the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Verses 6 to 7 on the screen. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, 
and you will answer me. Church Psalm 86 gives us a helpful lesson on prayer. This is one of the five psalms called prayers. And Psalm 86 is the earnest, heartfelt cry of a man of God. He is in a desperate situation, laying hold of the God whom he knew very well. The psalm, actually, as you read through that, is peppered with 15 requests. And we are not going to focus on all that. This divided into four sections, the entire psalm. And I really encourage every one of you to take some time today to go through Psalm 86. But I'm only going to focus on verses 1 to 7. In this section, David cries out in great need of, for God to hear and to act on his behalf. So as we examine this passage, it really gives us a framework of how we should pray as a family. That's what you're going to look at today. So how should we pray? That's the question I want to answer today as a family. So as you read through Psalm 86, David's close relationship with God permeates the entire prayer. Church, he knew God intimately and personally. So he felt free to pour out his heart as he does here. So as we read, we see there are at least four ways that we should adopt in, the, in our prayers. The foundation of this is like David, every one of us should know God intimately and personally. That is why last Sunday I took the time to talk about your walk with the Lord, the need for you to have the fear of the Lord, the need for you to obey the commandments of the Lord. That means you know the Lord. That means you know Him not only, you just know Him, you know Him intimately, you know Him personally. So with that preamble, precondition, let us approach this. There are four things that we can take from this. Number one, we must pray earnestly. We must pray earnestly. Let's look at verses 1 and 6. It's on the screen. Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Verse number 6. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. Church, as you read this, David's earnestness and intensity oozes out on the entire prayer. It stems from his awareness of his great need. If God doesn't answer, David knew that he was doomed. God, if you don't come through, I am doomed. I am doomed. So he cries out from his heart for God to save him from these powerful enemies. He wasn't mumbling through a formal liturgy. It's very important for us to understand this. There is no ritualistic prayer here. He wasn't going through a mindlessly down a prayer list. David was like a starving beggar. He was pleading God to give him food. Now John Bunyan, whom you know, and, and he in his book, he wrote about on, prayer, on praying in the spirit. This is what he does. He paints a picture of two beggars that Come to your door. One is poor, lame, and wounded, and almost starving. And the other is healthy and robust. They both, they both use the same words in asking for food. They both say they are starving. 
The first man speaks out of his misery and pain, whereas the second more calmly sets forth his need. Both have the same need, but the way they approach you is different. And Banyan says that you'll be more inclined to give the first man, not to the second. And even so, Banyan says, it is with God. Those who come to him out of custom and formality, going through the motions of prayer, are less likely to be heard than those who earnestly pray out of the anguish of their hearts. So we see the picture or practice of earnest prayer in the scripture as you go through this. Church, believe it or not, the first time in the scripture that we see earnest prayer is actually in the Greek rendering of Jonah chapter 3 verse 8. Understand the context here. In a moment of desperation, the people of Nineveh, realizing the imminent downfall of God's wrath on them, the scripture says, they called out mightily to God. In that desperate situation, the people of Nineveh, the Bible says, they called out mightily to God. The word mightily in the Septuagint is the word earnestly. That's what it means. They, they didn't just call out. They called out earnestly. They called out mightily. They mightily. Their mightily cry was heard by God because in verse number 10 in chapter 3 of Jonah, this is what it says. God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. When they cried out mightily, Earnestly, that's the response that they received from the Lord. In the book of Acts chapter 12, and we have been doing that in our Bible study series, James was beheaded and Peter was in the prison. And Herod had probably ordered his execution for the next day. It sounds like an impossible situation, doesn't it? Imagine being a brand new multiplying church with the entire Roman army against you. And there are 16 soldiers surrounding your leader who is completely helpless and is abandoned and is in chains. How did this church in 12, Acts 12 respond? They didn't have any armies or weapons to fight and they didn't have any political power to rescue their leader. And Acts 12, verse number 5, in Luke writes this way. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So obviously their conversation would have been like this, I paraphrase here. We have an impossible situation, church. Our beloved leader who was mightily used by God, is in prison. Now let us all gather together. Let us pray earnestly unto God, specifically for His deliverance. And church family, we said the same thing a few months ago. And the Lord came through for us in a mighty way. Why? Because we prayed mightily, earnestly, and God came through for us. 
So we see in this, the early church, they prayed earnestly. The word earnestly here is a compound word in Greek. It has the meaning of the English word of tension. And you see that being repeated in 1 Peter 1 is about deeply or fervently, another way of describing it. It is used again by Luke where Jesus prays in anguish and more earnestly in the Garden of Gethsemane. So when I use the word earnestly, that's what I'm talking about. Earnestly praying. But church, we do pray. Every one of you pray. Maybe daily, we may be praying morning and night, and I must tell you, I pray morning and night. But do we often pray like the early church prayed? We are all guilty of that, aren't we? We pray but not fervently. We pray but not specifically. We pray but not in one accord. We pray not as a group. I want to leave this as a challenge to everyone who is watching today. How difficult can it be, church, for every one of us watching this program to set aside just a couple of hours, once a week only, to be together on Zoom from the comfort of your own homes to join the corporate time of prayer. How difficult can it be for us? For you who are watching from home, how difficult. Don't do it for me. Do it for you. Do it for you. If all should come in one accord, bombarding heaven with our earnest prayers, church, we will see the results that of that early church seen in Acts number 12. We'll see the results of that early church in Acts number 4. This is what happens when the Lord released Peter and John. Again, we studied this in our Bible study. The scripture says, when they prayed, now here is Peter and John coming to the people, and when they prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Church, we will become bold witnesses for him when we pray together earnestly. We usually resort to prayer when we are shaken, isn't it? But we see in the book of Acts, they prayed to be shaken so that they can be bold witnesses. I'm appealing to you, let us be shaken with our prayers. Those of us who have children may remember a time when your little one's temperature starts going up. From 101, 101 to 102 to 103 to 104. You may remember how our prayers changed as the temperature went up. How they became more intense. Have you ever sat with a little, ba little baby on your arms and, and who is burning up and said, Oh Lord, we would really like if it's in your will, according to your sovereign plan, to bless this child according to your purposes. Church, would that be your prayer? No, you would cry out, oh God, save my child. That is an earnest prayer. That is what, is what earnest prayer means. We need to come to God like we mean it. We need to know we, who we are really talking to. And then earnestly, with our souls stretched out before God and to say, God, hear my prayer. Earnest prayers is serious and eager and intense prayer. It truly takes no special excess spirituality. You, need, you don't need to be a biblical scholar to do an earnest prayer, church. 
You don't need to even memorize the scriptures to do an earnest prayer. You don't need to be the super saint to do an earnest prayer. If all, after all, if the Ninevites can do it, surely you and I can do it. We can do it. Not to boast about it, but to give glory and to encourage who you are listening. I want to relate just two incidents in my life. I know that when my, when my son went for the interview for the med school, from the time he left the hotel room until the time he returned, it was six long hours. And I must tell you this very openly and frankly. I'm sharing this because I want every one of you to know that God is an answering prayer. He answers our earnest prayers. For six long hours, my wife was on her knees continuously and constantly, mightily crying out for God's intervention. And guess what, church? He did. He did. And again, when he was waiting for the results of the outcome of his residency, I really wanted him to come and get his residency at McMaster University. The results were supposed to be out at 12 noon. I still remember I came home at lunchtime at, from 11.30. I was on my knees. I said, God, I need, I want you to answer my prayers. I want my son to do his residency at McMaster University. And I was crying out. I was mightily crying out for God's intervention. The system was down for, for my bad luck. And I, it took nearly two hours for me to know the results. But I refused to get up from my knees. I prayed earnestly and the Lord heard my prayer. Church, if God can hear my prayer, He will hear your prayer. Don't belittle. Why am I sharing this church? To tell you who our God is. To reaffirm you and that He hears our earnest prayers. To encourage you to seek Him earnestly in all your circumstances. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. I just want to uplift you that there is always hope in Christ. Now when David was hiding in the desert of Judah, fearing for his life, running away from his own son Absalom, here is what David says in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Earnestly I seek you. And then he clarifies that my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Let me ask you, how thirsty are you? How hungry are you when you come for prayers? God moves mountains, church. If only we can come. So the first thing is you have to pray earnestly. The second thing we look at, verse number, verse number 3 in chapter, uh, sorry, Psalm 86. Here's what David says. Be merciful to me, O God, for I cry to you all day long. So the first point I said was pray earnestly. The second point is pray continually. Continually. Again, we see that his continual prayers were driven by his intense awareness of his great need. We read that in Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, he says, pray without ceasing. He does not mean that we should pray nonstop, which would be totally impossible, church. 
This word, pray without ceasing, it has a meaning like a hacking cough or a repeated military assault. That's what it means. The idea is keep coming back to prayer over and over again all through the day. Pray without ceasing means praying repeatedly and often. We see in the book of Romans, Paul writes to the saints and he says, For God is my witness who I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. Now we can certainly be sure that Paul did not mention to the Romans that every minute of my life I am thinking about you, I am praying about you in every, every second. I am sure Paul prayed about many things. But he mentioned them over and over again. That's what it means. Now, continual prayer is a posture of unceasing dependence on God. When you are continually praying, you are declaring your dependency on God. We may not be kneeling and praying out loud, but we are abiding in Him, delighting in, trusting in, depending on, and acknowledging the presence in our lives at all times. Praying without ceasing means not giving up on prayer, church. Don't ever come to a point in your life where you cease to pray at all. Don't abandon the God of hope and say there is no use praying. I have heard many people saying that, please stop it today. Don't say there is no use of praying. Jesus is very jealous for us to learn this lesson. And as you look at the, the, the parable that the Lord quoted in, in Luke chapter 18 about this woman who went to seek justice from this, from this godless judge. And Luke starts this way in verse eight, chapter 18, verse 1 in the book of, Gospel of Luke. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Let me repeat that. The purpose why the parable was said, he told them a parable to that effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. We are quick to give up, church. When we don't have answers to our prayers, we are quick to give up. And I don't know how many of you know this. How long should I be praying for is the complaint that I hear from most people. Pastor, I've been praying and I'm praying and praying and how long should I be praying for? I don't know how many of you know there is a how long psalm. There's a psalm of David. Look at Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? It's a how long psalm. The same thing that we ask every time. How long should I be praying for God? How long, Pastor? When is God going to come through for me? You are not alone, church. See, our brother David is doing the same thing here. How long do you pray? The answer is simple. Till you hear from God. Till you hear from God. There was a dear sister. I want you to pay attention. All these are true stories I'm telling you whose son was into all kinds of evil. He was a wayward child, and she went to counselors after counselors, and nothing seemed to work. And she always calls me and says, how long should I, I ask me, what should I be doing? I said, keep on praying, and how long should I be praying? 
She became so angry with me because she was so close to me. She started shouting at me, you pastors, you don't understand what I go through. I said, no, I don't understand, but your God does. How long? Keep on praying. There are days that she has told me off many times. And she keeps telling me, my son will not come for prayers. I said, he won't come to you, but you go to him for prayers. I told her that when he's asleep, after a long bad day, when he's asleep, when he does not know what's happening, go to the room, go on your knees, put your hands on him and cry out to the Lord continually. And church, I want to tell you in the name of the Lord, I, when I encourage you to pray without ceasing, God in his mysterious ways, beyond human comprehension, he touched her son. Long story short, today, he's a lovable worship leader in a church. That is our God. So pray earnestly, pray continually. Thirdly, we pray thankfully. Look at this verse. Number 12, Psalm 86. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. I want you to understand, David has not heard the answers yet. David does not have the answer to his appeal. How long? There's no answer yet. But David's saying, I will thank, I give, give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart. Now, similarly, right after telling us to pray without ceasing, Paul tells the saints in Thessalonica, in, in Thessalonians, Chapter 5, verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We cannot give thanks to God from the heart unless we, submissive, we are submissive to his sovereign hand. We believe that he is working even our trials together for our ultimate good. In the book of Hebrews, look at this. The Hebrew writers say, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The word acknowledge is important, church, in this. It means recognizing God's hand at work. Which in turn requires looking for the places where God is at work. A posture of gratitude keeps my thoughts focused on God and what he is doing in me and around me. It reminds me again and again that I'm not alone. Church, every one of you, if I ask you to put a pause and to reflect back, there are things that you will testify to the goodness of the Lord in your life, isn't it? What he has done to you in the past. That's why the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. Not in the midst of all the busyness, but pause, be still, and know that I am God. So when we give thanks to God, what really happens? There are four things happens when you give thanks to God. Number one, our gratitude glorifies God. Our gratitude glorifies God as we exalt not the gifts, but the giver. We are glorifying God, not the gifts. We are giving, giving glory to God. Gratitude, gratitude helps us realize all we have comes because of, not because of us, but because of God. It comes from Him. 
That's what the Bible said, for all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Everything that you are receiving, Paul says, may cause thanksgiving to abound for what? To the glory of God. So gratitude glorifies God. Secondly, gratitude helps us see God. Gratitude opens our spiritual eyes. Gratitude helps us sense God's presence, His personal care, His perfect timing. Again, James writes, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Church, every time you stop and say thanks to God, it, this thankfulness helps you see God again and again. Thirdly, gratitude puts us squarely in God's will. And part of His will for us to, is to be thankful, not just on the sunny days, but on the hard ones as well. This is what Paul writes, give thanks in all circumstances, in the good circumstances, in the bad circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As you are going through bad difficulties, it's hard for you to thank God for that. But you know what, church? After a period of time in your life, when you reflect back, you will thank the Lord for those bad times in your life. You all know that I met with a near-fatal accident about 40 years ago. And I wasn't very pleased with God when the doctor told me that I cannot run and I cannot do the things that I used to do. I even refused to pray. I asked my, my mother as to where is Jesus that you are praying for? Why didn't he come through for that? At that moment of time, it was difficult for me to see God. But today, church, I am who I am because of what God did in my life. He used these adverse circumstances in our life to draw us closer to him and to bring us back into His will, to keep us in the center of His will. So that is why we can give thanks in all circumstances. Fourthly, gratitude brings peace to us. Paul writes that do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So when you are coming to pray, Paul says don't come and just bombard God with, 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 with the requests. But stop for a moment, reflect on what God has done, come with a thankful heart and give your request to Him. And when you do that, what do you get in return? You don't get an answered prayer. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that you will get the peace of God. Church, when you are, when you are troubled in our lives, the only thing that we lose is our peace, isn't it? In every circumstances. And Paul says, at that time, come to the Lord and cry out to the Lord, and, but come with thanksgiving in your heart that is reflect back on what God has done to you. And when you do that, what you receive is the peace of God. And then Paul defines that peace of God, the peace of God which passeth human understanding. In other words, you are having the worst situation around you, but you are peaceful. And people are going to ask you, how can you be peaceful? Because you are experiencing the peace of God which passeth human understanding. It is not possible in the eyes of the human to see you being in peace and enjoying that inner joy. 
You should be crying. You should be welling. You should be shouting. You should be doing this, that, and the other. But no, I am in peace. David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. That is what gratitude does. Let me give another example. True life stories. There was a dear saint, a sister, who went through immense hardship in her life. Pertaining to a marriage, her husband abandoned her, her only child abandoned her. Pertaining to her health, she was cast away, she was really, really sick. And she lived a solitude life. But she cried out to the Lord. The Lord in his supreme grace saved her from her illness, gave her new life, and she tasted God's grace, and she knew his life, his love. So she was freed from this sickness. As I was ministering to her, I encouraged her to go to the Lord with the heart of gratitude. Thinking of what God has done to her in this serious illness. The one who brought you out of this serious illness will bring you out of this problem that you are facing today. I encourage her to reflect on how the Lord saved her life from the enemy and to trust him to do the same with her child. Just like David's prayer with Goliath, the Lord who redeemed me from the paws of the lion and the paws of the bear will redeem me from the hands of the Philistine. It's a prayer of gratitude, praying thankfully. And church, God in mysterious ways, beyond human comprehension, something that she, could, she never even dreamt about, God united the mother and the daughter together. That is our, is our God. That is our God. So, church, so far we have looked at the three things. We've got to pray earnestly, we've got to pray continually, and we've got to pray thankfully. The last point I want to take from this passage is that we need to pray in faith. Pray in faith. Look at verse number seven. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, and you will answer me. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. That is what David is saying here. David has been in this trial for some time now, without any hint of God's deliverance. His enemies must be gloating over him. Aha, you trusted God, and God hasn't delivered you, man. What are you talking about? Who is this God? I'm sure they have said the same thing to you as well. You talk about this God, where is he? I see you in misery. So David asked for an encouragement sign that God is going to answer him and, sh and shame his enemies who are really mocking God himself. Church, when you pray in faith, you invoke the will of God to come to pass in your life. Let me make it very clear to you so that you get this point Faith is not a matter of closing your eyes to reality and leaping into the dark. 
Rather, faith rests on God's revealed character and on the many revealed instances of how he has answered in the past. This is important to you, church, because there are so many teachings that we hear. Faith does not presume to command God. You cannot manipulate God, as modern and irreverent preachers claim to do. Even Jesus prayed this prayer. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Yet not my will, but yours be done. But faith rests on God's power and abundant love. Faith knows that if something is for our good and God's glory, He will do it. The prayer of faith is offered in faith. And part of faith is trusting that God knows what's best for us. Those who pray should be, should be unwavering in their confidence that God will always do what is right. Having prayed the prayer of prayer, faith, we can cheerfully commit our lives into the hands of God. Church, praying in faith to express your desire to God is very important. God, this is what I like. This is what I want. To ask Him to permit what is right in His sight to come to pass. What would bring Him the most glory? The scripture is very clear. My ways are not His ways, says the Lord. I want certain things in my life. God might want to give you something different in your life. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. We keep on praying and praying and praying. And the Lord will permit what is right in your sight if you pray. And that will be the best thing for you. You know why? That is my favorite verse, Psalm 25, verse 10. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of the covenant. If you keep the demands of the covenant, that means you are obeying the word of God. You are the fear of God. When you make your prayers, God will only permit what is right in His sight to come to pass in your life. And that is the best thing that can happen to you in your life. That is the best thing that will bring glory to Him. This is praying in accordance with faith. If something is for our good and God's glory, He will definitely do it. Church, when our prayers are not answered, the way that we want answers to come, please do not attribute to the lack of faith. For example, if a saint is dying of, of an illness... And you are praying over the saint and do not, if the, if the saint's illness is getting worse and the person is dying, do not tell it's because of lack of faith. Never make that statement. Will God heal? Absolutely yes. But must he heal? We don't know. We don't know what God's will is. He will permit whatever that needs to happen, but ultimately it will bring glory to him. So your prayer must be, God, I'm praying in faith, this is what I need, but I want whatever that comes to pass must bring glory to you. That should be your prayer. You know, we learn a lot from Apostle Paul's writing, isn't it? And his life lessons. He was a man who said at the end of his life journey, this is what he said, please listen carefully. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept what? The faith. A man of faith. The very same Paul, 
the very same Paul, yet this very Paul plea for the thorn in the flesh to be removed, isn't it? Not once, but three times. His prayer was not answered. Was it not answered? Yes, it was answered. But not the way that Paul wanted. Was it because of lack of faith? No, it's not. Church, this is what the Bible says. But the Lord said, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ is Therefore, I'll pray all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Let me close with the prayer of faith from our own church. There was a dear child of God. She was late in her 20s. I baptized her, committed her life to the Lord. On the day of her baptism, from the pool, she testified to the church. And she was in her late 20s. She said, all my friends have partners. And they were asking me about my, my life. I will not take matters on my own hand, into my own hands, she said. Instead, I'm going to pray continuously, trusting in him alone. I'm going to pray in faith. Absolute faith in her Lord. And church, making the long story short, and most of you know who she is. The Lord brought a handsome young man to this beautiful damsel. And they are now married and are blessed with a beautiful child, a girl, baby girl. In his time, he will make it beautiful. That is our God. So as we begin our journey in 2021, entering into a land of time with apprehension, fear, and anxiety... May we go in confidence of the promise of God that he, that he would grant us life, long life to enjoy and it would go well with us. So as we, as we have been exhorted already, firstly, it, let it begin with me as an individual. You, every one of you. Let me possess the fear of God and let me obey the commandments and statutes. And if that condition is met, let's go to the second one. Let it begin with us as a family. May we make our house a house of prayer. And let us pray. Let us pray earnestly. As if you are thirsty for water in a parched and dry land. Let us pray continuously. Not giving up after praying for a few days, not seeing the results. Let us pray thankfully, reflecting on what the Lord has done in your own life. Because gratitude glorifies God. Because gratitude helps us see God. Because gratitude puts us squarely in God's will. Because gratitude brings us peace. And finally, let us pray in faith. Being confident that our Lord would answer our prayers. When the prayers are in accordance with His will, which is to bring glory to God. God bless you, church. God be with you. i like to hear your testimonies. Worship team, please come. That you'll be able to call me and say, Pastor, the change has already happened in my family. It started with me. Now my house is called a house of prayer. That's what i like to hear from you, church. God bless you.
God be with you. I'll come back and close the service at the end of the worship.